Welcome. What the if? The most popular show on planet. I don't know. Not planet Earth, but. Two out of the four boroughs. Yeah, I'm sure there's a planet that we're the most popular <laughs> one on. Um, that That is a tease. I try to do very subtle teases. So take, take two. <laughs> we have, actually, I'm about to bring in just in a moment. I'm so excited about our show and our guest today. Uh, we're going to be speaking about a very hot topic ripped from the headlines. Um, if you can rip digital headlines, we'll do it. Uh, but quickly, we just, we had, uh, we got, we get mail. Um, and uh, since Gabby is a virologist, uh, Gabby Panicia, how are you? I am good. Gabby is here. And Matt Stanley is here as well. Indeed. And uh, we get, uh, Gabby, you've been saying, if you have any people have questions about whether they should get vaccinated or not, send it in. So this is, this is urgent news, breaking news. Uh, do I have any breaking news music? Yes. And we go to the mailbag. Josh from Maine writes in and he says uh, he has a question for Gabby. Josh asks, uh, it seems like some people who have been vaccinated are still getting COVID, although very mild cases. This happened to a couple of people where I work, for instance, and I happen to be a contact tracer for a university. So I feel like, I feel, Josh says, I, I feel like I should continue wearing a mask around other people to avoid spreading the virus to others, even if I have been vaccinated. Is that necessary? Thanks. Yeah, so I've been saying that, you know, it is one, very considerate to do that, but two, yeah, there is some transmission. If you are vaccinated, you are completely protected against severe COVID from everything we've seen, anything that's gonna get you hospitalized, you're protected from basically. But there is a small purport, small portion of people who do still get sick. And in fact, we did have two cases on Rockefeller's campus um, where people got infected with uh, some of the newer variant strains. Um, and, you know, you do kind of want to be conscious of the fact that, you know, it's not a bulletproof vest. It's damn close, the vaccine. Um, and it's going to really reduce your symptoms if you do get sick, as well as sort of reducing how contagious you are. It seems like it lowers your viral load, so you're less likely to transmit it to others. Um, but yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with feeling like you still should wear a mask, especially if you know you are indoors or if you are in a, a some kind of crowded area or a you know profession that puts you in contact with a lot of people. I know as a virologist, um, a lot of us were screaming when the CDC updated its guidelines. Um, we don't trust people uh, <laughs> uh, to follow the rules and uh, saying that it was fine to go maskless in places we thought if you were vaccinated we still thought was going to lead to a bunch of people who weren't vaccinated, just running around willy nilly, no masks. Um, but you know, I'll say what I've said before. We have no system to tell who's vaccinated and who's not. You're in a situation where you think it could freak people out to see you without a mask and you're not, especially if you're indoors and it's not just like, you know, a small gathering of friends, wear your mask, do your part. It, the pandemic still exists. We are not yet at hot girl summer. Um, you still have to, there's still a contagion. <laughs> All right. Well, I can't wait. We'll follow up on that story. I'm excited to hear what happens. Boy, I can imagine if somebody at you know, Rockefeller comes down with any virus that they would just be rushed to the lab, thrown on a table. and you know, We did see analyzed that. thoroughly. Yeah, yeah. So <laughs> the two people who got sick are the basis of a New England Journal of Medicine uh, paper. Ah, so that is kind of what happened. Right about what you That's know. Great. That's what they say. <laughs> um, good. Excellent. Thank you for, for helping us with that, Gabby. And now I'm, I'm just like I said, I'm super thrilled to bring in uh, someone who is uh, a genuine hero of mine. I have great admiration um, for uh, our guest, Mick West. Uh, Mick, how are you? I'm doing good. Glad to be here. Thank you for having me. And thank you for your kind words. Oh, absolutely. So Mick is here because Sunday night um, in the U.S., I don't know if it played everywhere else, but uh, um, the 60 Minutes, 60 Minutes news program, which is generally regarded as you know among the best of television journalism it's one of the oldest television shows uh news programs out there did a story uh on the uh tic tac 
UFOs, the, uh, I don't know, Mick, is there a, 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 a what, abroad, is the, the military? The, they usually referred to as the, the U.S. Navy uh, UFO oh. videos, because there's five videos, all of which were taken by U.S. Navy personnel. Right. Okay. Oh, fine. Right. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. So they did a story on that. And I got to say, I, uh, those of you who've been listening for a long time may already know this. Um, back in the day, we've, we've been doing the show now for a little over three years, I think. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, Matt and I have done, uh, Matt here, by the way, Matt Stanley, historian of science. Howdy. Um, we've done a number of stories over the years on uh, UFOs, but in particular, we did a little bit of a series on one because I edited, um, I actually do believe one of the better, um, well, at least more hard-nosed UFO documentaries that's been put on network television for sure, uh, with Peter Jennings called UFOs Seeing is Believing. And there's a whole story behind how it went. It, the original title was Life in the Universe. Hmm. But uh, um, but nonetheless, Peter was really into that. And uh, unfortunately, it actually turned out to be one of the last things he, he was able to make. If I'm not um, so I have a, quite a bit of experience in this thing. And so I saw this 60 Minutes thing, and I was like, this is not journalism. So I'm, I'm not critiquing the UFO, any of that yet. <laughs> or you know any of that but just as a, as a story it didn't even think and one of the reasons was it didn't include mick west who i've been watching but, but really like i've been or or anyone doing what mick's been doing um mick uh, if you don't know him is your uh, your youtube channel it's uh, um, mick west mick west yeah i use YouTube. i use my name everywhere i can that is very good <laughs> and i was lucky yeah. enough to get on the internet early uh, yeah. so I, I've snagged MickWest.com and MickWest Twitter and MickWest Instagram no. and MicWest YouTube. Wow. So that's amazing. Not easy. <laughs> um, you are the Adam Savage of UFOs, or not, not just, not just <laughs> UFO, because you, you do a wide range of things, right? Experience I do a few things. Yeah, I, uh, I think yeah. UFOs is is my current main focus. But I, I've done a bunch of stuff before. I kind of started out doing this whole chemtrail thing years and years ago, uh, right. and then people started pointing out UFOs flying around chemtrails, and so I was uh, kind of looking into. <laughs> Uh, UFO chemtrail related things and then a whole bunch of other conspiracy theories you know 9-11 stuff like that even flat earth yeah yeah wow um, uh, so many and there's so many great phenomenon there to dig into at any rate and and um, you know last thing I'll say and then we're going to dive into our if but I just feel like your spirit about it is great you know it's really it's like let's look let's take it let's look at it there's no point uh, for instance, you know, degrading or accusing yeah. the people on either side or things like that, because it's there's no evidence there. Let's talk about the evidence. And so, just as an example, if you're not familiar with Mick's work, and I do encourage you to check it out, um, you know, you do kind of MythBusters type things. You actually get in there and look at optics and try different things, and you can see. You explain it so well. You can see things. Um, yeah, it's like MythBusters without the big explosions. That's right. So I, I, I have played with uh, with thermite, which is kind of fun. Uh, oh, <laughs> I've, since, cool. I've since moved from a more rural place where I could play with thermite in in the winter to uh, to the city where it's generally frowned upon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's right. Uh, and uh, yeah, so we'll dive into that, and we'll we'll get a little just at some point. I just want to get a little hint, a little bit about your incredible uh, video game uh, past. So. But today we're going to ask the spirit of our show. What the if, uh, Matt? How would you describe it, and how does it flow into this? What we're well, doing? Well, we typically—that's right. What we do is uh, we make a declaration about how reality is going to be for the next hour or so. Uh, so sometimes that's what if there is no gravity, or what if humans had four toes. Uh, I think today it's going to be what if the Tic Tac UFO was real. Yes. Um, and uh, what what would have to be going on in our new universe here, such mm-hmm. that uh, that could be a thing. What the if? Tic Tacs could fly. <laughs> How refreshing the air would be. <laughs> uh, yeah, what if... What the if the, um, oh, by the way, and why, Matt, just real quick, why do we say what the if? Oh, it's, uh, it's our outrage and chutzpah at uh, uh, changing reality to suit our own whims. That's right. That's right. So what the if, mm-hmm. um, 
the uh, the U.S. Navy um, tic-tac craft um, were were confirmed real because there are some people who think they're real. You know, they say they're real, so that's a whole other story. Um, uh, I encourage you to look into it. But uh, let's say they're real. If they're real, we got. To, let's say we get, we can jump to the point where some you know evidence has been presented that just completely nails it right for instance so not to dwell on that a little bit but for instance what what might be something nick that we could see where it'd be like done yeah i think uh one of the obvious things would be some would be some close-up video would be great to have of this this tic-tac craft which which we don't have we have a very blurry black blob in the distance as the the only video we have of a supposedly white craft and it does that black in the video but you know it could just be lighting but so what evidence do we actually have? Uh, we have that video, which shows something off in the distance, and it's not really doing anything particularly amazing. So asking what if that was real doesn't really get you anywhere because it's just what if there is a something that was a, 20 miles away and is flying away from us? I mean, it could be a plane. So that's not super amazing. But the yeah. amazing things are kind of uh, in, in two areas. There are reports of radar returns, uh, supposedly of this Tic Tac craft where they say it's uh, the accounts vary but one of the most consistent things they talk about is it dropping down from a very high altitude either twenty-eight thousand feet or eighty thousand feet or fifty thousand feet it depends who you're talking to down to uh, sea level so it's doing that uh, kind of going from you know up in the uh, upper stratosphere and maybe even above the stratosphere uh, down to sea level uh, which is in less than a second so that is a pretty amazing thing physically. Yeah. And then the other thing that they talk about, uh, the eyewitness <clears throat> accounts, they actually have uh, two pilots and their, their weapon system operators in the backseat. So four, four sets of eyeballs apparently uh, saw this thing moving around. They flew out to where it was. They saw it first hovering over the ocean with no visible means of propulsion, which in itself is, is pretty amazing. How is, yeah. how is this heavier than aircraft hovering without any, any jets or anything? Yeah. without any or any downwash or anything like that and then then they see it kind of moving around in little circles and then following them and then kind of tumbling around a bit and ping-ponging and then shooting off really really rapidly so again we've got the really high speed so i guess it depends which one of those things you you view as being uh the real tic-tac you know, what is, so i think is it would have to be that? for our and this is where we you know uh, uh matt and gabby and i we get the beginning we we, we have to define our, define the experiment, define the thought experiment. So just as you said, what is it? And I think we have to say it's all of it, right? Because this is... Mm -hmm. um, yeah, I think we can include all that. Yeah, the reality, you know, we would say that this story turns out to be, gets completely verified. Yeah. And that would include even, um, by the way, on your podcast, Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Yes. Um, you've done some amazing um, interviews about this topic and other topics. Yeah, I've actually interviewed some of the eyewitnesses yeah. uh, to, to the event, including yeah. the chief radar operator, Kevin Day, which is where a lot of this comes from. Uh, he is the guy who who gave the the very earliest accounts, which kind of uh, slightly weirdly, he first wrote down in the form of a short story and had it registered with the Library of Congress. And it wasn't just a short story giving a fictional account of, of what happened. It was a, a science fiction account where he played the hero and he was a uh, kind of a, a psychic manifester of reality. And mm, uh, like he was actually that. manifesting these, these alien craft. But he says he wrote this, this short fantasy science fiction story account in order to get it in print so people wouldn't say he was, he was lying later. But it was, a very, it was a very strange way to do it, I thought. But you know, that was the first account. I think it was in 2008. Mm -hmm. the, the, the event itself happened in 2004. Right. All right. But along those lines, actually, this is, I think, an interesting, interesting place to start. So um, if the Tic Tac is real and you've interviewed a bunch of eyewitnesses mm -hmm. to it, what are the things that convince you that those eyewitnesses are reliable and the things they're telling you are actually what they're saying? How, well, what finally persuades you? Uh, well, I haven't been persuaded. In the, fi in the exactly, fictional... Exactly, right. In, in the fictional universe. In the fictional right. universe. What would persuade me? What would persuade me? Okay, so that, uh, the Kevin Day is telling me about these amazing radar returns, like dropping down from 80,000 feet to sea level in uh, less than a second. 
So what would convince me of that being true would be to actually see the recording of that radar data or to have uh, multiple other people independently verify it. See that there's other people within the kind of ufology group who are kind of repeating his story, but they all kind of know each other. So if I had someone else like, uh, you know, an inspector from the, the, the Navy said that this actually happened, that would, that would be good, a, a, a written report. But the, the gold standard would be the actual tapes of the radar data where they, they, I'm not sure exactly what they record, but I think you can at least get enough to have a, a recreation of what you can see on the screen hmm. yeah. and then see if what that says matches what he says. Does it actually show something moving from, uh, from 80,000 feet to sea level? But yeah. then you've got to think, uh, does that represent a real object? And so there's always going to be that question, is it a real object or is it a glitch in the radar? And so to be convinced that it was a real object, I think you would need, uh, I think at the minimum, like two different sets of radar data from different angles. So that it wouldn't be some kind mm, of okay. atmospheric ducting phenomena or something like that. Right. Uh, and ideally, uh, video and, and super ideally, multiple videos. That's right. So here, here's what I'm imagining happens. Uh, in the spirit of science fiction, but I think, by the way, we can all, we, we, we can laugh at it a little bit, but we can also all agree that it's a tremendous tool uh, and there's amazing science fiction and it's useful in many different ways. So in the spirit of, you know, hard science fiction, or um, here's, what, here's, what, here's the beginning of this story. Uh, they do what I would do as a documentary filmmaker. You know, I, you'd slap a bunch of GoPros on one of these objects. And so, right, because they're real. So in other words, and, and the, the, what's fun, again, I'll just, just to emphasize for our listeners that what's fun about this thought experiment is we're not here focusing on the um, uh, kind of teasing out uh, uh, inconsistencies in eyewitness reports or anything like that. That's uh, where we're jumping to the other side. Say, okay, well, look, if it's real, there's a lot of science we mm -hmm. need to yeah. update, right? And so... Uh, some of them are in um, one of the, there's a radar, um, it's not AWACS, uh, Hawkeye plane is part of this story, I believe, or one of the accounts. And yeah. uh, they say some of the people there really, that it came up to, that some of the craft will come up close. All right. So they get up close and they, you know, use some ma uh, magic um, and they get some GoPros all over this thing so that we can get Elon Musk quality video. <laughs> of these stunning things and it, it shoots down from, and then it goes around a bit. So we get a bunch of video and it goes up to 80,000 feet or it disappears one day and it comes back because they seem to begin, right? They, they arrive, they come down from 80,000 feet in some of the testimony and it goes down to the water level mm. as well, for instance, as a test, the uh, fighter pilot saw and uh, it lands on one of Elon Musk's barges, right? Like, oops. Because it's a good landing place. Yeah. yeah. Oh, okay. thank you. <laughs> well, it, mm -hmm. it, the, 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 if, I think we have to go so far as to say there are occupants or there are drivers. Let's say we don't know. They could be remote controlled from some other, if they're alien. Um, but anyway, they saw that that's what we do. We have things fall, right? We have, we have objects come from 80,000 and, and even higher, mm -hmm. um, go down and land on these little floating uh, things. So they say, oh, that's what we do. That's what we do. Yeah. Thank you for uh, finally building this. <laughs> finally getting landing deck for them. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, yeah, I guess that would be attractive. Yeah, I am curious. If, so, I mean, you know, we talk about you know maybe there's a, a pilot in there or some kind of unmanned thing, but you said these things yeah. stop really abruptly, like right. after That's right. falling. I mean, the G force you probably feel, or at least the stop, the uh, the rapid accelerate, the rapid yeah. deceleration would probably pancake any. Yeah, my, exactly. My of a biological thing inside of there. So um, I think here so you're you're getting to the actual nitty gritty of the practicality of these things. And uh, when you look at the numbers, like when you hear them the first time, they don't sound like yeah. You know, depending on how how used to it, completely impossible. So we're talking about going from eighty thousand feet down to sea level very very rapidly. Eighty thousand feet. Uh, what is that? It's like fourteen fifteen miles. And they're traveling that distance in, in say, like less than a second, but let's just say one second. Um, to go from 80,000 feet to sea level and stop, you know, and assuming they started at rest, but you're not, you're not necessarily say they started at full speed, uh, they have to decelerate all the way uh, to get there. So if you think about them going from 80,000 feet down to sea level in one second, 
That means at the very least, they're going at 80,000 feet per second. (laughs) And realistically, since they actually have to stop at the end, they have to be going at about about twice that speed. Uh, They are kind of at least twice that speed, really, because they've got to have enough time to to slow down. So they could be going much, much faster and slow down almost instantly at the end, or they could spend their entire time, the entire 80,000 feet, you know, trying to stop because they're starting out uh, 80,000 mm-hmm. feet per second. I mean, you can type type that into Google, what, what is 80,000 feet per second in miles per hour? Uh, and I could, I could just type that in real quick, uh, 80,000 feet per second. Google is great for this. It's really good at yeah. um, trans- translating so nice. feet per second in MPH. And that is 54,000 miles per hour. A little fast. Yeah. Okay. This is a little fast. fast. I think your GoPros might have a problem sticking onto the exterior of this craft. But it's the military. They're military grade, right? Military grade. It was super glue. (laughs) Super glue. Exactly. Um, But yeah. Uh, Orbital speed, by the way. If I remember this correctly, I think the speed of the space station is 17,000 miles per hour. 17,000, yes. So this yeah, that's, is... That's the space shuttle speed, I think. Yeah, that's the, the top speed. I think the whole the low, Earth no, orbit, yeah, yeah. low Earth orbit is around 17,000 miles. Yeah, yeah, because they have to dock, so it would be the same. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And um, however, by the way, here and here's where it becomes real science, and just we do touch on engineering. Um, uh, first, you should go to YouTube and watch mixed videos. Next, if you haven't already, and a lot of people watching the show, you probably already have, but if you watch some of the SpaceX videos, uh, I'm sorry, actually, Scott Manley. Mick, do you know Scott Manley? or of his... I, re- I recognize the name. But... So he does uh, um, stories about uh, the rocket program and the space program. And he, I think he might be an engineer of some kind. Anyway, he, he explains a lot of the engineering behind uh, things, including like the space uh, he, he did an episode on how did they calculate, how do Elon, how does SpaceX's rockets and the others, uh, uh, Blue Origin, so how do they land? And that one of the things they, they, he says, look, for a while there, we saw maybe 11 SpaceX uh, Starship uh, tests, and the thing would blow up every time, mm-hmm. and then they finally nailed it. And uh, so he explains, what, what was that? What that and, and a lot of it is dealing with this very problem how do you take something that is enormous and heavy and has to be strong enough to withstand the air force the the, the air the aerodynamic forces as well as gravity as well as all kinds of other stuff and the fuel and all that kind of stuff and interestingly with spacex one of the their solutions was they discovered just how at the how low could they go before they fired the retro rockets and, mm-hmm. and they, they, that's what they were able to finally nail. Um, but Matt, physics-wise, this, here's here's what's interesting. Mm-hmm. As everybody, and as and, and, and you know, Mick, and we all hear the um, eyewitnesses, you know, say these the thing that disturbs them the most is that if it's real, what they're seeing a real craft, an object moving like this, it's beyond human technology. They'll say, but what? isn't said much of the time, except by perhaps some of the skeptics, um, is that it's beyond known physics Yes, in a, in a big way. So mm-hmm. what does this mean, Matt, if it, let's say we see it, it can do that. And by the way, we're all used to, I think another reason maybe the public isn't that critical of these, or you know, doesn't have an immediate reaction um, of skepticism is because we see in movies all the time, Star Wars most famously, mm-hmm. things come up and they go down and you know, what's the big deal? Yeah, so the, the basic thing to, to keep in mind is that it takes force to change your speed. Um, and we're, uh, you know, if you think of uh, jet aircraft taking off or astronauts on top of a rocket, we talk about them experiencing G-forces, right? Um, and that's what we're talking about is that the equivalent force they're feeling as they're being sped up to the velocity they, they need to be at. Um, and that I think most people kind of grok. Um, but the reverse is also true. If you're already going fast and you want to stop, uh, you have to apply forces as well. 
Um, and we're familiar with very gentle versions of this, right? You stomp on your brakes when your car is going fast and you lurch forward against your seatbelt. Yeah. Um, but when you're going, say, 54,000 miles per hour, uh, the lurch is pretty severe. Um, and in fact, one of the one of the main restrictions on imagining what human spaceflight would look like is that the velocities are so titanic um, that the, the the forces needed to get you speeding up and slowing down will usually kill you. Um, and this is actually a a a, uh, a long standing plot point in the Expanse. Uh, sci-fi series, if you watch this, where they take very seriously this particular problem. Um, and major characters actually die because of these deceleration forces at various points in the series, too. Um, so that's right. We Essentially, what we have to do to make sense of um, a crude craft decelerating the way that the Tic Tac seems to is we have to repeal Newton's laws. Um, and that's a, that's a big deal, right? Yeah. For Newton that's... especially because he gets a good patent. He'd be rolling in his grave. Yeah. yeah. Um, and so, yeah, Mick, I mean, so, so one of the biggest things that's talked about, and actually I'm curious what you think, Matt, is um, this could be an interdimensional type experience, mm. right? Would that at all play a role in in this situation? Well, I guess, yeah, I guess uh, it kind of boils down to what you actually mean by interdimensional. Uh, I mean, what, like, what is the the other dimension we're talking about? Or is oh, it I'm sorry. So, so I'm just a spatial a spatial dimension. Yeah. Right. So the, right. Like so, a flatland type explanation. Where so we're something from a higher dimension. Yeah, I suppose you would have to figure out what would be the analogy uh, if if you are talking about a flatland uh, situation. Like the mm. the the idea, I think most people talk about when they try to explain how he gets around this G-force problem. And if you look at the numbers, it's completely ridiculous. I just I just typed in eighty thousand feet per second per second in G into Google, and it comes out as two thousand four hundred and eighty-six G, uh, where <laughs> what we're experiencing only- now is one G. Uh, the most a fi- fighter pilot ever experiences is 10G, and they're, they're yeah. generally in danger of passing out at that point. And um, you know, even things like like missiles rarely go above like 20 to 30G, just simply because they get ripped to pieces of the, the internal forces. Right. So 2,486 is obviously wrong. Yeah, sorry, Abby, we were cutting you off there. No, I, it's even on the edge of what bacteria can survive. I think two thousand oh, spin them down. It's even the like lowest form of life that you can think of. That, that's pretty heavy on those dudes too. So unless it's crewed mm-hmm. entirely by sentient yeah. bacteria, it's, you might have a hard go. It's kind of like flying close to a black hole in the terms of gravitational forces. The uh, mm-hmm. just the the internal tidal forces were kind of rip you apart. Uh, just and of course, if you're next to something, you'll just get completely squished. So obviously, right. if there's something inside that craft that's conventional, even a robot, it cannot be actually uh, uh, experiencing those g forces. You, you, you couldn't put a really, really tough robot made out of titanium in there. Still, it would it would be ripped to pieces. So something else right. would have to be going on. Right. Right. Yeah. I think that's an important thing for people to understand. It's it's forget the occupant. I was, and Gabby, were you saying, did you cite a G number that b- bacteria have been tested? Well, to? I mean, I mean, I just spun down some today in the lab. <laughs> at like 2000 RPM in a, in a pretty big <laughs> centrifuge. So I think, I think it comes up to something like that. Um, I'm trying to think of what the desktop centrifuge I have goes to as far as G. Yeah, I think, I think you can spin them down at that point. That- yeah. But like that usually awesome. if you want to really be nice to them, you only spin them down at like 500 or 1,000 G, but I think you can crank them up to 2,000. Wow, this yeah, is fa- see, very handy. This is why inter- the interdisciplinary approach is the best, right? Because who knew mm-hmm. that Gabby was building a bacteria space program? Yeah. Um, yeah, TikTok in my lap. Bacterial Leica. <laughs> yeah, instead of the monkey and, and Leica the dog, we have bacteria. Um, and they're hardy. They're surviving. So, yeah, I, I, the point is that the craft itself, even just the shell, whatever it is, if you're seeing a solid object, and that is an important part of the testimony, mm-hmm. right? It's a solid object. It, it looks solid, yeah. Yeah, and that, there's another aspect simply yeah. besides the craft itself, which is what would happen to the air around that craft. 
Yes. Because if it goes from point A to point B, it has to pass through essentially this 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 uh, seventeen mile, fifteen mile long column of air that has to be yeah. pushed out of the way, and then then will snap back again. And essentially, it would be kind of similar to what happens with a bolt of lightning. Uh, the air, when lightning uh, happens, mm-hmm. it, it ionizes the air and it displaces it, uh, and then it collapses in on itself, and you get this this thunderclap. And if it was actually moving at this incredibly fast speed, the amount of energy involved would be so massive that you you would probably get a, a huge ionization of the air, a big flash of plasma, and a giant explosion essentially, and yeah. a big shock wave that would, would ripple out from from that. And that doesn't happen. So again, you know, we can't rely on conventional physics, and we so we have to think of what could it be? What is the next step that uh, people are saying? You know, what what is the real physics here, or is it just magic? Yeah. What so is the Mach no, number? I was going to say there is no sonic boom when this thing descends from the heavens. Then, right? Right. Mm-hmm. Sonic yeah. boom is what seven seven fifty miles an hour, something along those those lines. Yeah. So this is what is that? That's like a hundred hundred Mach or something like that. Mach one hundred. Sure. There would be a sonic yes. boom. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. Although there's a very fascinating project, you know, right now happening. Uh, NASA is working on a plane um, that seems to be actually NASA and I guess other places, you know, other aircraft manufacturers are um, actually getting close to if they're if they succeed they're, they're getting close to being able to have what they call soft sonic booms yeah um, this sounds yeah. more like closing of a car instead of a crash of thunder or something so, well, so that we may get supersonic travel over land uh, yeah kill, but you know again we're not really just talking about the sonic boom we're talking about uh, a massive yeah, displacement <laughs> of air <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. almost in- instantaneously and then collapsing back on itself yeah. So yeah. it's uh, you know, how do you how do you get around that problem? It's not just simply the breaking the sound barrier problem. It's the uh, moving uh, tons of air to one side and then back again without yeah. anybody noticing. So here, here's what I love about this kind of thought experiment is that you know imagine we imagine this happens and we got the video that this this is observed right and actually this is how science works. I mean we we right throughout the whole course of science history and that is your. Your, mm-hmm. your bailiwick, uh, Dr. Stanley, um, they, they saw weird things, right, um, that they had to explain. And, or for instance, you know, one, just one of the more famous ones that I happen to know about, because that helped me understand uh, for a documentary about Einstein. And Einstein, uh, there was a lot of difficulty believing or certainly explaining why is it that light appears to move at the same speed no matter what direction and all this kind of stuff, whatever, however you're moving light always. And Einstein had this explanation, which was totally, anyway, so, so these things do lead to unbelievable revelations, right? So what, yeah, and I should, yeah, mm-hmm. that's right. I mean, we, it would be, it would require entirely new physics, right? So this isn't just a question of uh, cool engineering. This is entirely new laws of the universe that would be necessary here. Yeah. And one of the, actually one of the cool things we would get if we confirmed that the Tic Tac had actually done this is that then this is a possible thing, right? Yeah. The theoretical physicists yeah. go get to work on this. This is a thing that can happen. You can have 2,400 Gs um, uh, and you need to figure out what's going to happen there, how we can do that ourselves. Uh, so even if we never talked to the aliens or rescued a crashed spacecraft, just knowing that that was possible um, would completely change the way science gets done, yeah. which would be great. That would yeah. be great. That would be great. Yeah. And that's actually mm-hmm. part of the reason behind uh, Tom DeLong's enterprise. You know, Tom DeLong, the you know, Blink-182 guy, started this thing called the mm-hmm. To the Stars Academy. And part of the rationale uh, of that was that they would study UFOs and then build a spaceship because they would be able to deduce from studying UFOs what, mm-hmm. how they did what they did. And then they got the, the lead uh, manager from Skunk Works and they would just try really, really hard at studying and building and they mm-hmm. would eventually build a spaceship. Didn't work out, but uh, it was That's a, a noble aspiration. <laughs> well, it didn't work out because they couldn't find a spaceship. Uh, well, the company just kind of dissolved into a pure entertainment company where they're just making documentaries and, yeah. uh, and, and books and things. And the, the, the engineering, I think, the, I think they kind of um, greatly underestimated the amount of actual effort and money they would need to put into some kind of real engineering project. Yeah, yeah. And aren't they – there's a little uh, – this may be conspiracy theory thinking, but isn't Harry Reid is very close to – 
to the Stars Academy. Is that right? Or am I Harry Reid was very close to another guy, uh, Rob Bigelow, Bigelow uh, who right. got the original contract for the ATIP program, which was another uh, government program for studying right. advanced aerospace uh, things, which did look into things like uh, warp drives and whatnot. Uh, but it was kind of like this secret program set up by by Harry Reid and his friend Bigelow that so they could actually uh, pursue their interests of uh, studying UFOs under the guise of a government program, which, uh, yeah. and, uh, you know, now it's kind of all coming to a head now with all this stuff that's coming out in, in the media and the UAP report and the Inspector General's, uh, well, the OIG's investigation. So right. it's uh, interesting times in the UFO world. Yeah, uh, but yeah, the the there certainly have been people who have put forward the idea that we could study UFOs, and and learn from them, and you know, just seeing if something is possible. And that there are like theoretical uh, models that people have used to explain some of this, but they, they don't generally don't they generally don't fit particularly well. There's a thing called the Alcubierre drive, which is a way of uh, warping local space time. <clears throat> where you kind of uh, compress the space ahead of you and expand the space behind you and you move into the compressed space and you get this kind of weird bubble. But it, it requires, uh, in, depending on how you do the math, like uh, a large amount of negative mass, which we don't even know yeah. if it even because exists. Short supply. Yeah. <laughs> Let's learn how to, how to get it. It's not antimatter, it's, it's, it's negative mass, which is it's, it's a different thing again. Yeah. Uh, and then there's a bunch of practical problems of it, uh, like the 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 warping of space as you move through it will tend to accumulate any atoms that you happen to come across uh, in your travel. And, and even in, in interstellar space, there's still like one atom of hydrogen per cubic meter. There's still actually mass out there yeah. between the stars, even between the galaxies. It would, it would all accumulate at the front of this thing. And then when you arrive at the solar system you're you're traveling to and you unfold the bubble, all of this suddenly gets released at, at light speed, essentially, and it uh, turns into this massive burst of, of gamma radiation and obliterates all life in the solar system that you've arrived at. So there's a few <laughs> practical problems. Yeah, and that's, again, uh, just another thing I have a little bit of trouble understanding is the lack of urgency. On the part, We don't know what goes on at the higher levels of the... Yeah, that, that is very interesting. Like you'd think that they would be all over it if these things, this was actually happening. If we actually had the possibility of dis discovering this amazing technology, yeah. Uh, yeah. And the, the story that, they, that some people have given is that uh, people in the government, in positions of power, are very religious, and they're afraid that that UFOs are demons, and that by investigating them, we will provoke the demons into some kind of retaliation. Well, this is sure. a story that people have actually given uh, as, as as a reason wow. why the government is investigating serious people too. But isn't don't we? Huh. That's why we have a military to protect us from the demons. From the demons, <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. These oh, demons cool. are a bit more uh, powerful than your your average uh, MIG fighter. Though. That's true. That's true. Well, we try to do our best. Um, or another thing is in terms of demons, and, and I think um, uh, some of the people you've interviewed or they, they often say is like could also be that the higher ups and this is real right the higher ups are just mm -hmm. afraid to risk their career taking this on yeah. but even that i find hard to believe because ambitious people tend to not be cautious in that yeah. way i don't think right and if you were the one who was going to like i think we can look at the world of science people have you know devoted their entire careers to things that are really really I mean, string theory, or, you know, it's just they're yeah. difficult to prove, right? And it's just yeah, it's cold fusion. Really cold, well, yeah, cold fusion, exactly. I also think there's a, a, like a mathematical theorem or something like that, that it's like the number, the, like the maximum number of people you can have to keep a secret without <laughs> yeah. one, of them, one of them saying it, one of them blurting it out because people talk. And yeah. if you had some secret, thousand person cabal repressing alien knowledge one person's going to get drunk and blab probably yeah um stuff yeah. happens especially yeah. over a long period of time yeah this has mm -hmm. been going on apparently since the 1950s and uh, I, I, mm -hmm. people get old and get cancer and die and they're on their deathbeds and they're they're gonna tell you what they know about the aliens uh, and sometimes you actually do get that some people do actually say things but unfortunately they're not very credible and they don't actually have the evidence but if you look at harry reed senator harry reed He's very old now. Uh, in his, uh, I don't know exactly, like mm -hmm. in his 80s, I think. He's been sick with cancer. 
and he's really desperate to get the the story out there. But he's got nothing to give. He has no information, and yet he was the Senate Majority Leader, one of the the highest ranking positions that you can get in the United States. And he would have had like top level security clearance. And he basically is like saying, "Oh, there's things flying around, but we don't know what they are." So yeah, yeah. I don't really think there's very much in terms of a cover up going on. I think there is just things flying around and we don't know what they are and yeah. probably just because we don't have enough information. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do, I think as, as we wrap up, I do want to touch on one, one thing, get, get to look at this, the, the real um, dynamic going on in, in this, in these discussions. Um, I noticed that appeals to authority. And I'd be curious what you'd say about this, Matt, in terms of the role of, um, and Gabby too, actually, you know, how this plays a role. Uh, there is the mili- military pilots stories or military people that have always been the gold standard in a way of UFO observations because we say they are the most trained, right? But they're not at all trained to look for bizarre, you know, th- their thing is to see if there's a threat. And the interesting thing is they will, they even say, well, we didn't follow them. We don't really go after them that hard because they're not, they don't seem to be a threat, right? And that may or, you know, that might just be like, okay, that's how we are, you know. Um, but anyway, but the appeal to authority. And then what I've noticed is in listening, uh, especially when, um, Nick, uh, you did a great uh, interview with Vor- uh, Gary Voorhees. Yeah. Is that right? Yeah, um, Gary Voorhees. And I noticed he describes, as many of them do, and, 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 and I can understand it, a reverence for the technology that is equal to the way we see them the builders and operators of this technology, you know, over and over and over and over again, some of those folks will say, there's no way the technology, it, there, it would, you have a discussion with him about cirrus clouds and you say, well, they would, they don't, they answer a different question, right? Um, yeah. So how, Matt, if, if we get one of these videos and things like that, um, it, it, is it possible to get beyond it needing to be an appeal to authority of some kind, or do we actually always lose at that point? No, I mean, there's, you'll always, I mean, as, as Mick said, it's great to have um, data, you know, videotapes, numbers on disk and such. Um, But at the end of the day, we still need to be able to interpret that data. So we always have to have a person in the system. There's no way around that. And Um, it is important to have trained observers. Um, but we, we are actually psychologists have spent a lot of time studying how observers work. Um, and it turns out that you can train people to be good observers for specific things. Um, you have to train them to look for specific things. And the military is very good at doing that. Um, but that the price of that is that they're not very good at spotting the things they're not trained to see. Um, and it's, it turns out to be extremely difficult to train people to see entirely novel phenomena. Um, things that don't fit well into our existing frameworks, which whatever, if, if UFOs are real, if these are physical objects in some sense, they surely don't fit into our frameworks. And it's going to be really hard to make good observations of them. Yeah. yeah. And in fact, with, uh, with pilots, there's been some research that suggests their extreme skill at identifying things like enemy planes uh, counts against them. And they mm-hmm. actually become less reliable mm-hmm. witnesses of novel phenomena uh, if yeah. you take people with, without experience of, of spotting planes and ask them to describe something, they actually do a better job because the pilots and the experts try to fit what they're seeing into their, their preconceived frameworks of things that they see in the air, things that they're actually looking for. Yeah. So just yeah. because someone's a, a great observer of planes, it doesn't mean they're going to be a great observer of UFOs. Yeah. I also noticed in, in, in the way they're, the eyewitnesses are talking, especially these Navy pilots and technicians, ruling things out isn't really their part of the things they do. Their job is to rule something in and then determine if it's a threat or not. And so uh, if, if you come from any kind of scientific methodology, or if you have any background in that, which I do a little bit, um, there are certain red flags that just come up all the time when they're talking and they're they're completely unaware of it. For instance, you know, one of, I believe it was Gary you were talking to, uh, said, um, I saw it on the radar. I saw an object on the radar. And then I picked up my big, big eyes, he calls them the giant binoculars, 
and I saw a light, right? Immediately, this is, this is not good because you're, you're just confirming, most likely you're confirming, you know, your hypothesis. And he said, and the light was very faint and it was, sometimes it was there. So it was like something at the absolute distance of vision. So the true test would be to keep looking. You'd have to do it both ways, right? You want to keep looking out there and see an object mm -hmm. and then the blind test, right? Then look at the radar. And if it's there, and if you do that in all kinds of variations, now we, you start to get somewhere. Yeah, um, and also look in different directions, not just in the, that one direction. See, are there lights 10 degrees to the left or the right of that? Right. So. That's right. Yeah, if they see 10 objects on the um, radar, they didn't, it sounds like no one has actually looked and seen 10 objects. No, they, they said they normally appear in groups of five, but I don't think mm -hmm. anyone actually visually saw a group of five, uh, which right. kind of suggests that. And they, there have been other reports more recently of the Virginia Beach. Uh, where they talk about seeing them every day, but they're actually talking about seeing them on radar. And when they actually yeah, fly up yeah. to where they are, there's nothing there. Yeah. And mm -hmm. this is something for the, that is the mismatch between the culture and, and language that the military uses versus what the public understands. Um, also, I, I would just add that the way the military folk talk about the, ob first of all, they say it's an object. As far as I'm concerned, you can't now that if you push them, they'll say, no, 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 I mean, UFO, UAP or something, you know, I'm not saying, I'm not saying, but in fact, but then just in casually, they go back to describing it. They say, well, they, you know, the object moved this, like, um, Fravor describes it as it mirrored, no, whoops, sorry, this, um, pilot, uh, David Fravor, one of the main people who's talking about it these days, talks about going down to, to investigate in his fighter flying up to one of the objects and he said as he moved around he describes he puts intentionality in he imagines a pilot like him and the other thing mm -hmm. he says it mirrors me it does what we would do yeah. well it does what we would do probably is something well, the interesting there. thing there is that it mirrors him and yeah. you know if, if he perceived it as mirroring him like say it actually did visually mirror him he interprets that as it's telepathically figuring out what he was going to do next or very, very rapidly yes. responding to his movements. That's right. That's right. When there's actually another explanation, which is a little bit more counterintuitive, which is that it's not actually mirroring him. It's just, it's not moving at all. It's half That's the right. size that he thinks it is. And, and it's just kind of sitting in the middle of this circle instead yeah. of being at the opposite side of the circle. Yeah. But since he's got this, this, this very, you know, that's not the type of thing he would anticipate on a, on a daily basis, whereas he would anticipate uh, other jets in training uh, flying around in these dogfight patterns. That's right. And so that's, that's right. what he sees. And in fact, I would even say, if you look at the look at that word, mirror, it's an optical word. And also, I, I, look, I'm, I'm not saying it was optical, but I can say that optical phenomenon sometimes do that too. It will mirror you, or you, maybe he's reflecting something, mm -hmm. or, you know, he's, or this, the moon, or I guess sort of what you were talking about, make it like if you see the moon through the clouds or sometimes like that, you get strange. Yeah, yeah, parallax, essentially. I think it, it, most likely yeah. it was mm -hmm. a physical object, but not one that was moving very fast and he was misjudging the distance. It's very difficult to say, of course, because it was 17 years ago. Right. So it's, uh, yeah. you know, memory okay. has faded and the accounts from that time are a bit sporadic and don't exactly line up. So yeah. we'll probably never know what it actually was unless the government starts re releasing its investigation records. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I think he, he's got a very specific idea in his head about what he now remembers. And, and yeah. probably at the time he probably did too. Uh, and he's very unwilling to entertain any other possibility. Yeah. In, in, mm. in my, when I was working on the, the Peter Jennings documentary, I did a lot of studying and I was watching lots of original interviews and footage and also other documentaries about, cases and the Rendlesham Rendlesham Forest or Bentwaters right Bentwaters there yeah Rendlesham you can listen to audio tapes that were made of the basically the guys uh these are again trained military people Air Force I believe in, in England Americans in England yeah, yeah. It was an and they saw lights in the forest and something and they go and if you approach that listening to that audio tape feeling like they got it in they got spooked you, I, the way I interpret when I listen to those tapes, is I can actually hear them automatically now interpreting all kinds of mundane things that they see oh, yeah. as, yeah. you know, alien, and they genuinely believe it, right? Because they're, it's just that's the state of mind they're in. And uh, yeah, last thing I, I would just say on on the David Fravor testimony, I feel like 
they end the story, always end that encounter by saying, it disappeared, okay? Another thing that optical or things that have, vision can cause things to disappear, not magical interdimensional transportation. But then they say, and then it appeared at the place we were supposed to go to meet up, right? Mm -hmm. The CAD, CAD 60 point. miles away. Yeah. And I, I was like, well, no, some simultaneously, something, a dot appeared on a radar at that point. You know, how would you know that it's the yeah. same? Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of uh, conflating of uh, separate events as one event, like the entire Nimitz encounter is, is a bunch of different things, the videoing, the encounter, the radar stuff, uh, yeah. and the other eyewitness accounts like Voices' account. They're all separate events, and yet they're all being portrayed as being the Tic Tac was doing all these different That's things. That's right. When yeah, it's really yeah. these different things happened, and one guy reported saying some, seeing something that looked like a Tic Tac. Yeah. yeah, yeah. I am very curious yeah. about the radar stuff for me personally. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, technology is something that's been on an exponential increase in, in the past, you know, decade or two. Um, I always look at, I think it's transistors, uh, like constantly shrinking and we're reaching like the yeah. point that we, we cannot get them any smaller physically. I think the smallest it can be, it's just like a couple of atoms and we're not going to be able to make that. Um, and so I really wonder, you know, what, what could be, what interferes with that signal yeah. or what, what passes the threshold to pop up on a military radar? Smoothly, they have something to filter out the noise. What, like, mm -hmm. we, we yeah. all the time in science, and I always think of you know DNA or RNA sequencing. We get false positives, things that are coming up for some random reason, which are a part yeah. of you know biology being wonky. You have primers sticking in weird places. So I, I do wonder what the the radio equivalent of that is. And this is my call out, my dad who listens to this, who is an RF engineer and does do satellite <laughs> stuff. Really let me know if there's something like right in because I'm very curious and we'll be yeah. texting you later about this. Yes, that would be great. And somehow my mother escaped this whole thing. I got my mother totally, she believes in it and they listen. She totally yeah. believes in the Tic Tac. So I don't know, you know, um, you're, um, Mick, your videos are going to be playing in Cincinnati yeah. at the Curly Home. Um, <laughs> well, the, the, the radar so, point, real quick, is is very interesting because yeah. you know the technology of the radar uh, isn't just like you know the rotating little antenna thing that you see with normal radar. It's a thing called a, a phased array, uh, which has lots of separate little antenna horns. I think they call them, which are essentially just single uh, monodirectional radio transmitters, and they uh, they all work in conjunction with each other, and you modulate the waveform so that the the they 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 form a beam. You have this beam forming technology, which is actually the type of thing you have in phones nowadays, uh, yeah. or at least in the, the cell phone connection. They actually try to like track you with a little beam as you're walking down the street with your cell phone now to beam the stuff straight at you. And yeah. radars use this. And so it's actually quite difficult to, to physically spoof something in that because you have all these different different things happening. But that 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 data from all these multiple horns can't just be shown up on a screen. It has to go through this complicated electronic and uh, digital uh, processing phase before it shows up as something on the screen. And then there's another interpretation layer on that where they try to figure out what they're looking at and it ties in with the whole, the IFF system, the, uh, the identify friend or foe mm -hmm. system. So there's all this stuff going yeah. on. So there's potential for software errors. And apparently with the Nimitz encounter, there was actually a software systems upgrade uh, yes. before this happened, which might've been what was responsible for these false radar returns. Yeah, which kind of surprised me when when, when um, uh, Gary Voorhees was talking about, uh, he speaks with such reverence, I was saying about the technology, there's a huge red flag that like his, the incredible system he's admiring, which I agree is a marvel of technology, was like new and they actually, you know, their first thing was to start working out. Mm -hmm. Working also, out the yeah, in his description of that, of how the radar works and, and for instance, in your analysis of the Tic Tac videos, um, uh, the FLIR videos and, and go fast and all that. One of the things you notice is that in both those cases, there's a lot of video manipulation going on because the purpose of these cameras is not to look for UFOs. So for instance, yeah. uh, the, the gimbals rotate and, and the, this, there's some software and some physical right, attempts to compensate for that. Their goal is to keep whatever's the pilot seeing stable enough for him to keep an eye on it. Yeah, yeah. So um, keep the object in the middle of the screen is the the, the primary yeah. purpose. Uh, so you can track it and then shoot it if you need to. Uh, yeah. So yeah, giving you a a pretty picture that shows you exactly what you're looking at isn't the number one concern. Yeah. 
yeah. And then you were talking about the clouds. You were describing, you know, well, there are cirrus clouds, ice crystals, for instance, things like that can affect radar. Um, but Gary was saying, uh, um, yeah, no, he said the, he would the, burn the, through it. I think. It's, well, well, there was powerful. that, but he, he says, he says you could put. This is, by the way, this I want to see. He says you could put a turkey in front of the radar on the Nimitz, and it would cook. And my guess is they have done that. I mean, if I know sailors, I think oh, sure. important yeah. survival training. I would do that. Um, I, I used to work. Isn't working. <laughs> that's right. I worked at NBC in Washington for a while, and literally the gigantic transmitter or whatever was right on top of our building. And we used to joke that we would reheat our lunch by putting it on the roof. Um, but he talks a lot about how he says, "Oh no, well they, the, the the system sees clouds and it wipes them away for us." Oh. Okay. Yeah. So. But how is it doing that? Is it doing that by software? And if it's doing it by yeah, software, soft perhaps the cloud wiping algorithm has a little glitch in it when it's at certain angles or certain atmospheric conditions. Mm -hmm. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um, but yeah, fascinating topic, and uh, I have so much respect for the people that, for the jobs they do. And yeah. uh, I, I don't want this to feel like I, th I think that's a lot, of, a lot of difficulty with this issue is people either go one direction or the other in terms of attacking the people and stuff like that. And uh, I have the greatest respect for Yeah, me too. And I, I definitely am not trying to attack uh, the men and women of the armed services because they do wonderful jobs that are very difficult under difficult conditions. And a lot of them are very highly trained and technically competent. Yeah. But you know, people can occasionally still make mistakes. Even, even experts make mistakes. Yeah. Uh, I mean, to we, their we, credit, we, though, mm -hmm. have you seen another phenomenon, Mick, where so many people have come and just would talk to you for great lengths. I mean, you've had Luis Elizondo, you've had, who was the head of this ATIP program, and just come and they'll talk to you for hours and really just be honest, it seems to me, about their... Yeah, uh, no, it's, uh, it's, it's been good. Like, the, they've been pretty open generally. Although uh, Lou Elizondo didn't, uh, didn't follow up on coming back on the show, even though he said he was going to. He's apparently a bit too busy nowadays. Yeah, uh, and there is some, I think, uh, animosity. Uh, even though I try to be as neutral as possible, people still see me as as attacking their yep. their point of mm -hmm. view and their uh, not gender, but what they're trying to do, their aspirations of getting disclosure out. They see me as an enemy, but I'm just trying to figure out what's going on, just like they are. Except I perhaps don't have the same type of uh, initial assessment that they have already made. Yeah. Let's let's I just let's end on what what do you feel like your what are you most passionate about when you bring all these things together like I feel your your book is uh, um, tales from the rabbit hole and you're talk, you talk to people who've sort of come out of conspiracy been able to drop their conspiracy theory thinking or is is that something you're yeah I think I think what I'm passionate about really is is having constructive uh, conversations that kind of further um, you know the knowledge that we all have together now with with conspiracy theories it's the challenge there is how do you get through to people who have very fixed false beliefs generally without mm -hmm. uh, alienating them or them without them getting angry at you and without them pushing away from you and then when you're talking about things like the UFOs uh, can we actually kind of work together to figure out these things. Uh, I think a lot of the times like the, the skeptics and the believers are, are at loggerheads because they're arguing about these, these the big issues like our aliens here. But, you know, I try to focus on the data and say, you know, this video here, let's, let's see if we can agree, does this video show uh, some amazing technology or doesn't it? And then, you know, we can then take the results of that shared conversation and, uh, uh, and, and move forward from there. So you know, getting those constructive conversations going is, is really what I'm trying to do as well as figuring yeah. out what's going on. Yeah. You know, it would be interesting, actually. Actually, it takes a for the spirit of our little our show today. I feel like um, if there was a different attitude, and I don't know this is entirely scientifically best attitude to have, but like more enthusiasm for it, say, look, this is, we don't know what this is, and it's probably nothing there. But if there is, wouldn't it be amazing? So if there was yeah. a lot more energy towards actually approaching it saying, let's investigate it in a positive way and not dismiss the claims, which is what upsets the people, then mm -hmm. every, I think everybody would agree with that. You know, um, um, I don't know. That might make yeah, yeah, I think science could definitely benefit from a little more embrace of the weird. You know, Francis Bacon used to say, sometimes you should just do outrageous experiments like playing trumpets to the tulips and see if anything interesting happens. Right? <laughs> yeah. Not many people do that anymore. Uh, yeah, I, I think if, even if you're kind of dealing with pseudoscientific um, things, 
it's still interesting science, like the stuff we talked yeah. about today, like hypothesizing, you know, what would happen if we did have something moving very fast, or even with the flat earth stuff, I always say that flat earth would make very good high school science experiments and uh, they could yeah. spend a whole semester just focusing on the various claims of flat earth and, and learning about uh, physics and um, geometry and map making and things like that, uh, just in the context of figuring out if the earth is flat or not. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And I would encourage everyone, by the way, one of our favorite shows I think that we've ever done is uh, a flat earth show where we, um, we have amazing, Matt brought amazing mm -hmm. uh, science to that, what that would yeah. really be like. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of fun. <laughs> it man. would be a wild place mm -hmm. to live. Um, uh, thank you. Thank you, Mick. This is oh, really, thank you. Uh, thank you for having really me. great. Very interesting. Um, yeah. And I'd love, you know, those of you who are listening, I'd love to hear your thoughts can be kind as well. Be great. Um, feedback at whattheif.com. You can contact us, or we are on Twitter, what the if show. And um, uh, you can also just go to our website, whattheif.com, and you can see all our all our episodes there. You can subscribe there, but you can also subscribe right there in your app that you're listening to. Um, and uh, Gabby, do you have anything you'd like to to plug or point people towards? This week? Uh, something a little bit weird this week. Yeah. Um, so I've mentioned a couple of times the Cronauer Lab at Rockefeller, which studies ants. Um, and they study a lot of really interesting things about ants, uh, like social behavior. I think one of their grad students recently who's graduating this year uh, studied sort of like some of the mechanisms of eusocial development. So physically, how do you get ant queens? What's the process? Huh. Uh, and they are working with uh, BBC Studios for the next Planet Earth. Uh, and if you are one of our listeners who is in and around Manhattan, they are Planet Earth 3 is actually going to focus on wildlife in the city. And they are looking mm. for territorial battles between different pavement ant colonies, um, <laughs> which is yeah. bizarre. Awesome. And it's just really fun. Um, and apparently these are huge clashes. I mean, on a small scale, but huge clashes, right. thousands upon thousands of ants, you know, murdering each other for territory and tiny cracks in the yeah. sidewalk. Like yeah, yeah. So if exactly like Helm's Deep for ants. Um, so if you have cited one of these and you have details and stuff like that, um, the person that the uh from the BBC Studios who's I guess collecting this is uh you should send an email to Mirica Walker O2 at bbc.co.uk and I'll just put this I'll probably, you know, just send this flyer up uh on the website. Yeah. Um because they're they're looking for ants, and if you've got ants, let them so know. So if you are an ant involved in a massive territorial battle, <laughs> you can and you have a moment, don't you know your safety is foremost and your victory is foremost. Mm -hmm. But if you get a moment to email the BBC, that'd be fantastic. That yeah. sounds. And good. we can we can guarantee confidentiality too if anyone is concerned about being. That's right. Seen in the middle of a battle. Well, and we now have an if to do in the future. That's a great one. <laughs> a great one. Um, Mick, your your uh, your podcast is Tales is, from the Rabbit uh, Hole. TFTRH.com. Yeah. Say oh say uh, say the acronym again. Oh, TFTRH. Tales from yes. the Rabbit Hole. Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Um, absolutely fantastic. And your book is also Tales from the Rabbit Hole. Escaping the Rabbit Hole. Oh, escape. Sorry. I, I get them confused myself. So. <laughs> <laughs> I should have chosen a different title for my podcast. No, that's good. Um, and uh, and you're on YouTube as well. Uh, really, just fantastic videos. I, I encourage everyone to do that. And I was glad to see you. You were you've been on CNN. And um, actually, I I have friends in the media. I'm talking you up. So I don't know if it's my you know I'll do what I can. But uh, if anyone any people are out there, I think I, I just think what you know what you're what you're doing. Or I mean, look, like I can say anybody who who can do what Mick is doing. I mean, we just don't see that in the news at all nobody tries to just say let's figure out what this thing is they just such weird just vague questions and then you know yeah yeah we should do do a bit of math yeah yeah a little <laughs> bit of math you can do it you can do it um thank you mick really really an honor to have you it's so great oh, you're very welcome love to be able to talk to you more yeah. um and uh thank you uh, professor stanley anything to plug uh, let's see here. June 7th, I'll be speaking online for One Day University, if you want to hear me talk about uh, the universe and you from the ancient world to the multiverse. Fantastic. Um, 
you can come have me on your very own screen. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, and Matt has an excellent book, by the way, Einstein's War. Always a classic. Check it out. Uh, no UFO references, unfortunately. No, but no, but lots of space. Uh, lots of space. A lot of space. It's cool space. And stuff. lots of military observers, I guess, yeah. if we wanted to go that route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, good stuff. Uh, Matt, would you explain to Mick, I'm not sure if you've ever heard our shows. We, we have a ritual at the end. Uh, uh, well, um, as we as we think about uh, the, the implications of our if for the week, and we think about the, the new realms of physics that are required by the things that we have learned, uh, we, uh, we sort of have an existential crisis, and we shout in horror uh, the name of the show uh, to um, get rid of some of that anxiety. Yes, like so, uh, all the, we imagine all the ifs coming, because we don't know what we're going to do next week. Who does? And mm -hmm. if every one of those ifs was like an object crashing down from 80,000 feet, uh, into our laps, uh, I think we would have to scream. So we scream very slowly the name. Thank you, McWest. Thank you. Thank you, Matt Stanley. Thank you, Gabby Panicia. Send those cards and letters. And those videos, if you see a UFO, please pull the camera out and hold it steady. Thank you. See you soon. God bless our troops.